In 2003, Aaron Ralston was a brash young man looking for adventure. But while exploring the slot canyons of the Utah desert, he found himself trapped miles from home, deep within an underground chasm, his right arm crushed and pinned under a massive boulder. There he lay stranded with no hope of rescue for five days. Ralston's true story was portrayed in the 2010 film 127 Hours, starring James Franco. In order to escape circumstances that would have meant his certain death, Ralston was forced to amputate his own arm. But he would go on to inspire millions through his incredible story of survival and perseverance in his best-selling book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Ralston was a keynote speaker at the biennial breakfast meeting of the Conservation Alliance during the 2012 Outdoor Retailer Summer Market in Salt Lake City, Utah. Immediately following his presentation, I had the opportunity to ask him a few questions about his ordeal and what inspired him to live and to tell his story. I'm James Mills, and you're listening to The Joy Trip Project. It's hard. people have seen the film and have read the book. The film is called 127 Hours and the book is called Between a Rock and a Hard Place and it tells your story of a very harrowing experience in the Utah desert. I'll leave it to other people to get an idea as to what it is that that story meant to them but perhaps you can give me an idea. First of all, in the film, how accurate was James Franco's portrayal of your story? What did they get right? What did they get wrong? Well, I worked with the film team for seven years, as it was, uh, to take it all the way from when I wrote my book to turn it into a script, and then selecting a director and working with them to choose James, as they they did to, to to depict me and my experience, and even working with James then to coach him through the actions. He's a, a, admittedly not an outdoorsman, and to uh, get him familiar with the desert, to get him understanding of my experience. So not that he was trying to impersonate me so much, but to to take an audience through my entrapment, the the psychological aspects of the, of the ordeal that I, I endured, and then the liberation, the the release, the triumph of it all too. And I thought it was very accurately portrayed, uh, both from the the overarching emotional uh, story, the themes that they that they highlighted about love and family, and and then also, I mean, the very physical and, and factual aspects of it too, all wrapped up into this extraordinary film 
adaptation of my experience that I think people who watch it they they know what I went through you feel it really as you watch the film and so I was extremely pleased with what they did and it was at the point when I'm watching it with my sister a couple of times and and as she's seeing it for the first time she's like elbowing me and slapping me on the knee and like oh that's so you they totally nailed it you know uh, so even with my family that they they saw how how genuine it was uh, and to do that and at the same time really make a film that moves people, that's not an easy thing. You usually kind of have to choose one or the other, but they, they got it both. They got, they got uh, this, I thought, amazing film, very powerful, uh, inspiring, and then also something that, that really resonated with my experience that showed that genuine portrayal, even with my faults uh, and some things I'm not necessarily proud of, mistakes and uh, foibles and, uh, as they are. But uh, yeah, I couldn't have been happier. Your experience was both physically and emotionally traumatic. Can you give me an idea? Can you describe for me what was the the greatest moment of despair for you? I I think the the darkest point of the the entrapment came after I had eliminated all of my other options of escape uh, and was really left with still the idea that I could amputate my arm. I just was I wasn't desperate enough yet and then as I I became more desperate. On the third day, I tried to cut into my arm, couldn't even cut through the skin, uh, felt despair, and, and thought I had bottomed out at that point. But then later on, the fourth day, have this kind of epiphany of sorts that I could take the knife and hold it like a dagger and try to, to stab myself to get through the skin. And as I was successful in that, I had this moment of elation. But then, uh, just as equally, the, the turnaround was then I touched the, the bone in, in my arm with the knife played tip and I knew I would never be able to cut through the, the bone that was there. Uh, probably sooner be able to, to carve through the rock itself with this knife which I tried and tried and tried and, and failed at. And so that was, I think the lowest point was uh, was to know that that there was nothing now that I could do. It, all options have been exhausted. No one's coming for me. No one knows where I am. I can't move the rock. I can't cut my arm off. And it, it just, it meant that I was going to die there. Absolutely, assuredly, I was going to die there. And it wasn't that I was procrastinating to figure out how to, to cut my arm off. It was just, I tried and I tried and I tried and I couldn't. Um, and as, then I, a turnaround on the fifth day was that I, I, I actually came to a place of acceptance of that. And so in a way, it kind of got better even as the time wore on. The fourth day was probably the darkest moments, and yet it's still, I was able to turn on my video camera, talk to my family, my parents, my sister, my best friends, all these these loved ones in my life, and I felt comforted. Uh, it uh, it buoyed me up. It, it, it showed me really that I was, I was getting along, I was surviving, not just on the, the physical elements of... I, you know, the, even at the absurd level of drinking my own urine, but that it was on uh, reminding myself of the great memories of my life, to be able to say thank you, to feel the gratitude and the love that was there in my life. And if that's all that I had gotten to have, I'd had it pretty good. That peace, that gratitude, uh, that was what I felt then through what finally came as, as what I knew would be the end, the final night. Which, of course, was the final night, not because I, I, I perished, but because uh, I, I had a, another eureka experience and, and understood how I could get out even with a knife that's too dull to cut through the bones. What I find fascinating is that you went through the, the complete arc of despair to acceptance. And at that point, I have to assume that you, 
you came to peace with, yeah. with the choices that you made, with the life that you had decided to lead. But through the course of your story, you also experienced a vision um, in which you met in your imagination your future son, Leo. Yeah. Can you tell me, how did that experience shape your ability to survive and live? And could it be that that vision helped you to, to decide that you had a future? The vision absolutely showed me that I was not going to die in the canyon. And, and it was a, a, a powerful um, experience that came at a time when I knew that I was going to die that night. I was convinced of it. I would even etched my epitaph into the canyon wall. And then the date changed, and I didn't even bother to change it because I knew I was not going to see the dawn. It was, it was just a matter of fact. I was, going to, I was going to cross over, and it was only a matter of minutes. And then this... This experience, this out-of-body experience, this vision, a premonition of my interaction with what would be my future son, this little blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy. Even the details of the red-collared shirt, like the polo shirt, playing, playing with this truck on a living room floor and scooping him up in my arms uh, and him coming to me as, as though I have just come home from, from a trip. Um, and that, that showed me, it, it, it rekindled the hope. Uh, that I'd, I'd given up even at that point, the hope that I would ever get out of there, it showed me I was going to, I was going to see it through in a, in a positive way. And it, he gave me the courage. This little boy gave me the courage to make it through. And then as, as I figured out how I could get free, it was, it was the most beautiful experience of my life to, to escape that place, to be, to be free, to be liberated, and to have all of the joy and uh, happiness and delight of, of my life as a possibility again. Um, to have him in my life today, as he's two and a half, and he's such a he's, he's such a beautiful experience uh, that that I get to, I just I get the honor and privilege to have him, and to be. <laughs> to be that little child from when I, I met him nine and a half years ago, that that to have him from from that vision nine and a half years ago today is is this experience. So I know someday we'll go out there, we'll we'll go see the canyon, take him to that place where I met him for the first time, and have something that we share in, in a, kind of like a metaphysical way. But it, it tells me that there's there's so much more to this this story, as, even as it is, but this life in general for all of us, then really just what appears at the surface. There's some very deep energies that, that we you know, occasionally tap into, you know, kind of lifting the veil and what's, what's underneath all of this. Um, and, but it takes, a, it takes a lot of sometimes the extreme circumstances of life or death to get to that point where all the day-to-day -day gets stripped away and you get to that kind of core that's, that's behind the mist. <laughs> so yeah, that, that aspect of this experience is, is probably the, the most profound and then also the, the most touching still. I get choked up when, and I know today that if I had to do it all over again, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would cut my other hand off in order to try to get back to him. This might be a slightly more difficult question, but you're probably familiar with Christopher McCandless, the character in the Jan Krakauer book, Into the Wild. He had an experience that could be compared slightly to yours. Unfortunately, he died. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you've given any thought to how your story might have been different should you have perished. Yeah, uh, undoubtedly different. <laughs> And yet his story inspired me, even from beyond the grave. In it being shared as uh, Krakauer's book was a story that I read uh, in the years 
far before my entrapment, uh, and it inspired me to get out there. It was amongst uh, several of, of uh, John Krakauer's other books included, uh, Into Thin Air, and, and then other survival stories, adventure stories, misadventures. That, you know, most often the best stories are the ones that where something terribly <laughs> wrong has happened. And uh, that, 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 I think, just as inspiring was to get me out, to leave my job. I, I, I almost... Uh, I, you know, idolized Chris McCandless in, in a way, the super tramp, like to get out and to live that life uh, just free of, of the kind of societal um, chains, uh, just the, the strictures that, that uh, felt like they were confining me. And, and it wasn't my life. It felt like I was wearing a, an ill-fitted suit that, that just wasn't for me. And, and to cast that aside, and, and he, was, he was somebody who inspired me to do that, to, to leave the, a career um, and even a, a lifestyle behind to live to my dream, to follow my passion. But he also was a cautionary tale. <laughs> I told myself I'm going to be like him. But when I go out, I'm, I'll, I'll be better prepared. I'll be better trained. I'll have better gear and equipment. And, uh, and so that was that was my path. And yet, still, it's none of that is a guarantee. It's it's not. Uh, uh, it doesn't provide a, a cloak of protection around you. There's there's still all those thousands of micro decisions that go into every outing. And at some point, one of those might go awry, uh, as as it did. And yet, I realized I was looking for that. That my fascination with some of these stories was such that I created an experience for myself where I tested myself to find out what am I capable of, who am I, what metal is in me. And, and it was you know, Chris McCandless, among others, whose stories planted that question in me in the first place. And for my experience to have ended differently, had, and it very easily could have in so many ways, it's all these little things that came together to create a miracle that I, I did get out. But maybe my story might have still inspired others, uh, perhaps in a slightly different way. Uh, and and I, I know, obviously, for me and my family, it would have been much, much different. Um, but we do make choices, even as there is a tragedy that might result in uh, a loved one's passing, that we make choices about what are we going to do with that. And for some families, as they lose loved ones, that then they go on to help others, to be there, to enrich the lives of others, as that's part of our purpose. And we find it, no matter what circumstance, delivers us some opportunity, even if it comes in the form of a, a tragedy, but we choose then to make it into something that, that might be a blessing. So now moving forward, you're working now to help raise awareness for the preservation of wilderness. Uh, how is your story inspiring people to get outside and preserve wild places? Or, or could it be that your cautionary tale might actually be discouraging people from being outside? <laughs> well, I, I have heard from a few folks that, that like, I heard your story and I'm never leaving the house again. <laughs> um, but, but just, and far more, who, who've told me that they, they were never in, in, that interested in the outdoors and who decided that they wanted to climb a mountain. But, but regardless, that there's some inspiration. People have written to me letters that said that it inspired them to plant a garden. Um, even folks who, not activity-oriented at all, but who were in the midst of depression and who said that my story helped them get through the as in, as in self-intervention in their own mind to show them that there's something worth living for, to, to set aside even plans for suicide and to, to embrace the love that they have maybe for their grandchildren. Or, uh, it, it, it helps and touches people in innumerable and unfathomable ways that, that I, I never could have imagined any of that. Uh, it's, 
it's something that's given a gift to me then as a, as a gift from the wilderness to be able to give back through conservation efforts, through trying to protect, um, for example, like the, the greater Canyonlands region, which includes Blue John, where my entrapment took place in southern Utah. Uh, maybe to even have that protected as a national monument, down the road to be protected as wilderness, designated forever to, to keep it as it is. Um, which is still pristine, but it's it's under threat um, from energy extraction, especially oil and gas drilling, as it gets ever closer into the farther reaches of our backcountry. And with it won't take much more than a few more years of inaction and the the relentless consumption of of our of our natural resource uh, in these pristine places, and and they will be forever changed if not gone. Um, it's I think my duty. To to that place that has given me so much, as well as our collective responsibility to steward these lands that we're we're effectively borrowing in, in in a sense from the future, and that it's our I think our our obligation to see them through into the into the future. Um, we've received them from the past in their state that that of, of it's taken by and large four billion years for the earth to have gotten to this point and here and just even in a generation we, we have the opportunity as dangerous as it is to to perhaps go after every last burp of gas or drop of oil and and at the cost of in utah at least nine million acres of pristine landscape so i see it a, a, a personal mission almost a calling uh, to be a part of the the processes and the the advocacy to try to keep a few of these very special places um, as they are and and also in Colorado where this is my home uh, the place where I I first uh, kind of found myself uh, those <laughs> those first adventures to get out and test myself and, and to connect uh, I think the more that we get out there uh, maybe as my story inspires people uh, maybe maybe young people uh, that we the more that people engage the outdoors, that connect with it, uh, they they find an ownership of it, and that ownership begets stewardship and hopefully the preservation of wildlands. Yeah. Aaron Rawlson, thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. The book, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, is published by Simon & Schuster and is available in paperback and audiobook. The film 127 Hours is out on DVD and Blu-ray. Aaron Ralston is now a public speaker. He continues to climb and live with his family in Aspen, Colorado. For the Joy Troop Project, this is James Mills. Music this week from Band of Horses and the 127 Hours movie soundtrack. The Joy Trip Project is made possible with the generous support of sponsors Patagonia, Rayovac, the New Belgium Brewing Company, and the Outdoor Retailer Summer Market. Thanks for listening. But you know, I want to hear from you, so please drop me a note with your questions, comments, and criticisms to info at joytripproject.com. Go be joyful. And until next time, take care.